You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Today's reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord, and it is given to the church for our good. Thanks be to God. True school teacher. I'm not phased by a kid hanging on you. <laughs> well, let me pray, and then let's turn our attention uh, to this passage. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great thanks that you have left uh, this sermon uh, recorded for our good. And we do pray now that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to make it for us words of life and words of hope, that it would be used... Um, in a world that seems uh, set that you can't, we can't change, that this would be used to change us and make us into a people more like Jesus Christ, a people who know your blessing more deeply. So would you send your spirit upon this, your word, as we now hear it preached, that it might work powerfully in our lives. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's no hashtag on social media that annoys me more than the hashtag blessed. Um, if, if you want to almost guarantee a diagnosis of depression. You know, start your morning off a good 15 minutes every day just scrolling through Instagram pictures where people are labeling them as hashtag blessed. Eventually, you'll find yourself feeling that you live a miserable life. Um, you know, it's, it's February. I felt I hadn't seen the sun for like three weeks, and you find these photos where someone is on a yacht, some celebrity is on a yacht, you know, with their arms around their children saying, um, family, you know, hashtag blessed. It's like, this is ridiculous. What you're doing is you're boasting and you're rubbing this in my face that I'm not as elite as you. And then you're protecting yourself from any criticism by saying that, acknowledging this as a blessing, you know? Uh, If I had to, I'm pretty sure I could get Zelensky and Putin to have a halfway decent time on a private yacht outside of these islands, right? Like this is, (laughs) it's hard to call this blessed. Uh, This is ridiculous opulence. And it's, and it's absurd. I, I absolutely, uh, you know, sort of despise the way in which this is sort of a way to boast and to cover for it. To show yourself to have more than others, but to sort of mask it with some measure of humility so that you can put this publicly online and not feel bad about sort of rubbing this into others. And in some ways, though, this hashtag has become fairly helpful because we're able to see what our society counts as the blessed life, as the good life. People are now flaunting it. They're not hiding it. Because this looks like gratitude, we're able to see what people most value in our world. And it's having more than others. It's having better experiences than others, being more opulent, being more over the top. This has become, this eventually, if you scroll down enough, especially as it relates to celebrities, this has become a way to show us what it means to make it in this world to be living the good life. It's to be spending absurd amounts of money and delighting in everything everything this world has to offer. Well, listen, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus's, this sort of biography of the life of Jesus. And you may remember he started his public ministry, we looked at it the past two weeks, 
by announcing that the kingdom of God had arrived, or it was at hand. It was breaking into our world, and it was now tangible and touchable in a way that previously was only felt with a distance. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus now is going to give us the first of uh, his sermons. He's actually going to have five sermons, just like there's five books of Moses. He will give five sermons in the book of Matthew. And he's going to announce what this kingdom is like, what it means to repent and to uh, trust and follow after Christ and taste and be a part of this kingdom, this new regime that is breaking in, this new administration that is coming into our world. He's going to teach us what it means to be people of this kingdom. And this is what's going to happen in this Sermon on the Mount. And in this first passage we're looking at, and we'll look at this again next week and the week following, we're going to see who in the kingdom the Lord looks upon as blessed. You know, without being too cheesy, what snapshots of the world that Jesus looks upon as he's scrolling through social media and, and, and says, this, this one is blessed. And he's going to declare that there's certain pictures, there's certain snapshots, there's certain people who the world might say this is inappropriate to describe as blessed. And he's saying in the kingdom, these are the blessed people. So this is what we're going to look at this morning. And these first four that we're going to look at, the, this, these Beatitudes are actually pretty obviously uh, divided uh, by the word count and the way in which the, there's word count. And the first four start with the same Greek letter. But the first four that we're looking at this morning are going to describe a person who's blessed. And what you'll notice right away is that person is blessed because they lack. So in a world in which being blessed means you have and you have an abundance, you have such opulence, so over the top, Jesus is going to say, in my kingdom, do you want to know who's blessed? It's those who lack. When he looks upon the world and he looks through the various snapshots of what is going on in your day, in your life, and in our world, he says, these are the ones that are blessed. The ones that find themselves in situations that lack. And my goal this morning is that we might reflect more on who are blessed in our Lord's kingdom. That we might find ourselves delighting more in being part of those who are blessed and longing more and more to find ourselves under this blessing of the Lord. So what I want to look at is these first four Beatitudes, the way in which they relate to lacking. And so that, let's look at the first one. We read in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could say here that this first blessing is a blessing on those who lack capacity. Now what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, we could start by asking what does it mean to be poor and I think that that's probably where everyone would be on the same page. It means to lack physical resources and to have an inability to sort of sustain yourself and certainly an inability to get ahead, to feel stuck, to barely be making it. And now we have to ask yourself, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And it's tempting to say that what Jesus is saying by being poor in spirit means to be spiritually poor, as though that's sort of tremendously opposed to being physically poor. That it means to have some kind of deficit in your soul and to be very religious about this poor in spirit. But we have to let Matthew define what it means to be, in, what, what spirit means, what it means to be poor in spirit. And it's quite interesting that as you read through Matthew's gospel, you'll find, for example, in Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus is praying before he's heading to the cross, and he asks his disciples to pray. And what does he say when he finds them sleeping? He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Something similar happens in Matthew 27 where Jesus breathes his last and we read that he gave up his spirit. So whatever it means to be poor in spirit, it, it, this means something beyond just, uh, just beyond your flesh. 
in a deeper level of who you are. There's a poverty that sort of seeps through your bone, skin, seeps through your bones, and gets into your very soul, passed through your mind and into your very soul. There's a certain poverty that Jesus is saying when he sees that. These are the people who deserve the, the hashtag blessing. These are the people who are blessed. This deep inner person, when it experiences poverty and lack of resources and an inability to get out of trouble, Jesus says, when a person's there, they're actually quite blessed. Now, this might seem strange. How is this a blessing? Especially a blessing in this kingdom he's bringing to be lacking capacity. But it shouldn't surprise us. Millions of people, people hundreds of thousands of people in our city, people even in our church, they found hope through what? Through Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step groups. And what is the very first step of the program? What do you have to admit? You have to admit that you're powerless, that your life is unmanageable. What Jesus is saying is there's something right about that, not just for the people who feel that a substance has taken control over their life, but the people who look at life all around them and say, I'm in trouble. They might actually have a fairly large bank account, but they say something deep down is off and wrong, and I don't feel like I can make it, and I feel like I am powerless, and I feel like my future is unmanageable. Jesus is saying that's the person in his kingdom who's blessed. One of the ways to think about these beatitudes might be to think of some anti-beatitudes. What is the opposite of what Jesus is saying? And one of the ways we could say that is our world would say, blessed are those who never give up, who never lack, who push through adversity, for yours belongs the kingdom. Blessed are those who depend on no one and are a burden to no one. Blessed are those who believe in our, yourself, who cultivate this you-can-do-it attitude. That's what our world is telling us constantly. That's what social media is telling us constantly. Hire a life coach. That's what they're going to tell you over and over and over again. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying when you feel deep down that something is not right, that you're not the person you want to be and you have no resources to get there, my goodness, he looks down and he says, this is the one who's blessed. This is the one who appears hopeless, who actually has great hope in this new kingdom. Blessed are those who lack capacity. Next, Jesus is going to say, blessed are those who lack comfort. We see it in verse 4. Blessed are you who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Who's being blessed here? Well, there's sort of a logical sequence to what's going on. Jesus is saying, not only is the person who deep down into their inner person finds themselves bankrupt and frustrated and unable to get ahead, so also is the person blessed who sees that with regularity, hates it, and finds themselves mourning, who finds himself unable to get comfortable, constantly in a deep state of, of frustration. Jesus is pronouncing a blessing on those who find themselves in a disastrous situation and they daily know it. This naturally flows out of what it means to be poor in spirit. But what's interesting is Jesus never tells us exactly what they're mourning over, just that they're mourning. There's a huge temptation to say, oh, they're mourning over the fact that they're trapped to sin. Well, certainly, that's, that's absolutely true. But I can't help but think Jesus is actually saying that they're mourning over a whole lot of things. That the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. That friendships are broken. That parental relationships are, are complicated. That death is in our world. And every day they open their eyes and they see it again and they find themselves mourning. Now, I should be very clear. Jesus isn't saying you ought to hate yourself. 
You know, he's not saying you ought to lead this miserable, morose lives. No, he'll, he'll talk in the, in the New Testament, we'll read elsewhere, where Paul especially talks about godly grief producing deep repentance, whereas worldly grief just produces sort of death, this sort of wallowing in, into uh, sort of no, no life. I guess what Jesus is saying is there's a way to mourn and also to mourn with joy. And these people who are regularly finding themselves mourning, these are the people who indeed are blessed, who look at their own lives, their own behaviors, their relationships, the world around them, who watch the news and say, Lord, why does it have to be this way? Come, make things right. At these moments, Jesus looks down from heaven and says, this one is one who is blessed. Listen, as a pastor, I've seen a handful of marriages fall apart, and it's one of the most horrible, horrible things to witness. But I'll tell you the point that I've begun to realize that the marriage is probably, probably almost unrepairable, and it's this. When one or both parties get to a place where they're, no, they're not mourning the state of their relationship, where they're either just entirely blaming the other person or they just don't care anymore, they just have grown hardened and cold like a stone to the other person, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible for that relationship to move forward at this particular point. When they don't cry over the, the ways in which they've contributed to this dysfunctional marriage, and they don't cry over the pain that they've experienced they just sort of accept things as they are and shrug their shoulders. It's almost impossible to move forward. Why is this? Because anyone who's alive, who's a part of a relationship that's breaking down, ought to feel a deep sorrow deep inside them. They ought to have a vision of some sort about the way things could be, the way things ought to be, the way things should be, and realize not only is the problem the other person, I too am contributing to this problem. And the more that they, they're, they're caught up in mourning and hating this, the more confidence you can have that this marriage will come back together. What is Jesus saying? He's saying this. When the kingdom breaks in, when the kingdom of heaven starts to touch our world, those who have a glimpse of what could be in our world, what could be in their own life, who see potential and opportunity and who see an, an end to these things and yet find themselves daily reminded that things are not the way they're supposed to be, and yet, rather than growing cold to it and shrugging their shoulders, or rather than blaming the system, blaming other people, blaming, uh, you know, sort of economic policy, the more these people look at it and mourn because they realize they are participants in it, the more Jesus says, I tell you, people like you, you are going to know comfort one day. You will absolutely know comfort one day. What is the anti-beatitude of this one? Maybe we could say, blessed are those who can keep a smile on their face. Blessed are those who can insulate themselves from disappointment, pain, and hurt and come to accept things just the way they are. And Jesus' kingdom, blessed are those who lack capacity. Blessed are those who lack comfort. And third, he's going to say, blessed are those who lack control. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, who are the meek? And the meek isn't a very common word. In fact, I uh, searched a bunch of LinkedIn profiles to see if anyone describes himself as meek, and people describe themselves with the most absurd of adjectives. But no one on their profile says, you know, I am a meek computer programmer. Uh, you know, I'm a meek lawyer who is an expert in this field. Um, it's just a word we don't generally use. And it's actually quite tough to know exactly uh, what Jesus means, means by it. The word generally in Greek would refer to a gentleness. However, there's a good chance that Jesus here, as he pronounces this blessing, is reminding God's people of Psalm 37, verse 11, where we read almost identical language, that it's the meek who will inherit the land. And as you read Psalm 37 and wrestle through 
what, what the psalmist says in Hebrew, you realize what he means by meek there is something deeper than just gentle. He's thinking of actually people who are oppressed and they lack agency and they lack control over their particular situation and yet they have a, a gentle demeanor about it. They have a calm demeanor in the face of things not being the way they're supposed to be and even they themselves uh, being piled on. Meekness is not so much an attitude we can cultivate. There's a temptation to see this as humility. And if it's humility, there's ways in which you can cultivate humility. But meekness, as it's being used here, especially as it relates to Psalm 37, is people who find themselves buried in situations they just can't get out of. And yet they're able to move forward. They're able to cry out to the Lord in the face of these things. And that's what makes someone a meek person. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. Some of you know my family uh, was involved in drywall. Um, and that's why you're stuck with me as a pastor, because it's better than doing drywall. But uh, <laughs> my family had a drywall company, and um, part of being the son of the, you know, the owner of the company was uh, you, get, you get treated somewhat differently, and that's often good. But I can remember over the summers, the first time I would work with one of the employees of the company, and they would know, that, they would know who my dad is, and they would know that uh, you know, I'm the son of the person who owns the company. And there would be, for some of them, a particular hazing that they would expect me to do. They would say, why don't you carry that bucket over there? It would make this job better. And then once I carried it over there, they'd say, you know what? The sun's too bright over there. Why don't you carry it over there? And there would be all these sort of rituals of, uh, that you would go through as you'd accept these things. And I would be in a tough spot because in one sense, I didn't want to say, do you, you know, I'm not going to do that and sort of play privilege. I'd want to show these guys, look, I can work hard, okay? I'm going to earn my money just like anyone else here. It doesn't matter my relationship. I'm going to work hard. But at the same time, this hazing gets old. Moving things around, being tormented, being mistreated, having to stay a little bit later because I couldn't get work done that I was supposed to get done because I was busy helping another. But you know what gets you through days like that? At least when you were in my situation, you know what got me through? Is that I knew I was going to go home. I was going to see my dad. When my dad asked how the day was going to go, I was going to say, you know, is it normal? When you're working with, I, I don't know, it seems weird. I've never done this job before. I wouldn't know. But is it normal to move your buckets like six times or to be told to go dump water out and get fresh water over and over again? You know, I, why, why could I tolerate being treated like this? Even in some senses with a measure of, of peace as I moved buckets over and over again and was being hazed in some senses. Why could I? Because I knew I was going to talk to Daddy that night. I knew over dinner he was going to hear what happened, and I knew, I knew when my dad heard what happened. My dad was going to say, that's not how employees are to be treated, whether they're my son or not. And I was able to carry myself with a certain gentleness in the face of this. You know why? Because it was for one day. You know, try doing that for a full year. No way. I would have pulled, I would have, I would have, you know, used my name to my advantage if it was for a full year. But one day, I can stick it to a guy. Jesus is saying, listen, you want to know who's blessed in the kingdom? It's some of you right now who, for the sake of the gospel, or because of the way sin works out in the world, are going through trial after trial, and it feels unfair. And it feels like it's been unequally distributed to you. And life feels like you're carrying bucket from one place to the other and from one place to the other. And there doesn't seem to be any logic from it. And people are mistreating you. And Jesus says, listen, you're the one who's blessed. The one who that happens and they don't divulge into bitter, bitterness and revenge. But the one who says, I know who my dad is. And I know he's invited me to the table one day. And I know just one simple conversation with him, all of this will be made right. And the people who can conduct themselves in the face of a setting like this, these are the meek people. And Jesus is saying, these actually are the ones who are blessed. They are the ones who are blessed. 
They have no control over their situation, and they know it, and rather than seeking revenge, are seeking some spite-filled way to get back. They are the ones who with peace say, my Lord, my God, my Father. He will make all things right. This is a temporary arrangement, and I'm going to put up with it with joy because I know one day he will make it right. I am going to trust him. And Jesus says, those type of people who the government pushes around or, you know, the school board pushes around or your employer pushes you around, who, who, who do it with a gentle spirit and put up with it. Jesus says, listen, you're not just going to inherit the business. You're not just going to inherit the future, you know, power in the company. You're going to inherit the whole earth. It will all belong to people like you. You are the ones who are blessed. Maybe we could say, who are, what is the anti-beatitude of this today? Blessed are those who are influencers. You know, blessed are those who boss many people around and make sure they always get their way, for they are the ones who deserve the earth. And Jesus says, not going to happen in my kingdom. It's the meek, those who lack control and who know it and who push forward. They're going to inherit the whole earth. They're going to be the ones in charge. And his kingdom, blessed are those who lack capacity, those who lack comfort, those who lack control. Finally, Jesus says, blessed are those who maybe we could say lack conformity. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, it's not immediately obvious what Jesus means here again. And, and with all these beatitudes, I really, have a feel, I really have a hunch that Jesus is being vague in such a way that these things are going to push and pull us in a variety of different directions. But we know what it means to be hungry, and we know what it means to be thirsty. It means to be lacking Remember, that's what these first four all have in common. We're lacking of something. something. We're missing something. We're craving something. And Jesus is saying there's some people who crave righteousness the way a person who's starving craves bread and water. So we have to ask, what is righteousness? It's a complicated word in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul often uses it, say in Romans 5, as some kind of divine gift, a status that can be given but that's just not how Matthew uses it. And I don't have to work hard to make the case for you for that. And if you have a Bible open in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus is going to pronounce the final blessing on those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What might righteousness be? Well, as Matthew uses righteousness, this is right conduct. This is uh, when we pray that the, the Lord's will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. This is what righteousness feels like. It's, it's that all might be in a state of right. That you yourself might always be acting rightly, but also that you wouldn't witness other wrongs prevailing on this earth, things that are against God's will. It's a wishing and a longing to see God's will prevail on earth. Maybe we could say it's a craving of justice to go forth. Blessed are you who are starving and find lacking that when you look around the world, you're saying this is not the way it's supposed to be. You're craving a righteous character in your own life, but you're craving a, a, a just society everywhere you look. Jesus is saying these are the people who are blessed, the ones who lack conformity, the ones who won't accept the ways of the world as is, but crave, long for, and call for these things to be made right. Jesus is saying in, in his kingdom, when the fullness of it comes in, my goodness, these people will be so, so satisfied. They're craving their hunger, they will eat at the finest feast and drink the finest of wine, and they will see justice flourish in the world. And they themselves will find healing and restoration deep down into them that they act rightly in all scenarios and in all situations that come before them. Their appetites are satisfied as the effects of sin become untangled and done away with on this earth. 
and they see righteousness. These are the people who are blessed. The people who watch the news or walk our streetcar past the homeless encampments and say, why? I hunger. It hurts. Why are there people without homes? Why are there people like this? Who, who, who wrestle through what is going on? Why is it this way? Why is there injustice in the world? Why are certain nations treated differently? And they don't give up on it. They continue in hunger to see righteousness for the third world just as much for their neighbor. And they find themselves craving almost like a starving person that there might be righteousness in the world and that they might conduct themselves rightly. Jesus is saying, that person, the person who's a bit annoying in your friendship community, the one who's very careful about the products they buy and whose conscience is sensitive because they long for righteousness, my goodness, they're going to be so satisfied. They're the ones blessed in his kingdom. Maybe an anti-beatitude of this is, would be saying, blessed are those who concern themselves only with their life and their comfort. Blessed are those who go with the flow and make the best, for they will be satisfied. Jesus says, not true, not true. It's those who are frustrated and not satisfied with the world around them and who will not conform and just accept these things have to be this way that Jesus says they are blessed. The ones that hunger and thirst for a proper relationship with God, a proper relationship between uh, with themselves and creation, a proper relationship between them and all their neighbors, a proper relationship between neighbor and neighbor and neighbor and creation. The people who long for these things, they are the ones who are satisfied. Now, in conclusion, maybe to wrap this up, um, we've just looked at these first four Beatitudes, and I hope you've seen, and I've tried to make the case, that what holds the first four together is that they're all describing a blessed state for someone who finds themselves lacking, okay? And this, is the, this at, at its core, is already opposite of what our culture would tell you. Those who are lacking capacity and comfort and control and conformity, Jesus is saying, actually, that looks like a curse on this world, but that, those are the ones who are blessed in my kingdom. But the question becomes then, what are we to do with this? What are we to make of this? And there's a temptation to say, well, if this is where blessings found, then we need to sell all that we have and be poor, because at least then we'd be closer to being poor in spirit. That, that might be what the Lord calls some to do, but in a twisted way, that would still be a great act of control on your part, and I don't think you would ever understand the true poverty of spirit Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, happy are blessed are those who find themselves in destitute situations, desperate situations, who feel utterly hopeless. And this isn't so much a virtue to acquire, but a situation to realize you're in. And the proper way to respond to these Beatitudes, sure, to figure out how you could reflect them more in your life. But part of what we're seeing in these Beatitudes is this, that the way up in this kingdom is going to be down. Jesus is not so much making demands on you as he's actually declaring who is actually blessed. And it's those who can see it. Those whose eyes have been opened to see the utter desperate situation they're in, the utter poverty they're in, the utter starvation they're in. Not just between them and God, but between them and all of creation. Between them and all their neighbors. The, 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 utter, the utter difficulties that lie ahead of us. The way in which these things are not just hard, but they are impossible. That there's an addiction to sin. And that sin's impact on the world is so intertwined and entangled, it feels like it'd be better to throw the whole thing out and start over again if we were God. The people who come to that place, the ones who see clearly deep down 
just how messed up they are, how wronged they act, how their best of behaviors are tainted by bad motives. Those people, those are the ones who are going to know deep blessing. And so what Jesus is saying is whatever we make of Christian spirituality, whatever it looks like to carve a path towards Christian maturity, part of what the path is going to look like is descending down and down and down and down as we get a more honest glimpse of who we are and who we become and who God made us to be. And as we get an honest glimpse of the world around us and what it was created to be and what it has become because of our sins. A path towards maturity does not always feel like going straight up. It's clearer eyes to see the ways in which we failed to be the people God wants us to be and the way that this world has failed to be the world God has created it to be. To realize our utter poverty is what's going to make us mature. This is what these, this passage is calling to you. And my question this morning for you, whether this is the first time you've admitted it or the thousandth time you've admitted it, is do you have a growing awareness of the, of the utter impossibility of your situation before God to fix things, to make things right? Do you have a growing awareness of the utter impossibility to find one theory, one theory that explains why all has gone wrong other than to say we find ourselves alienated from our Creator and we must be reconciled, we must be brought together. Because Jesus is saying this is how you're going to get into the kingdom, this is how you're going to experience blessing in the kingdom, and in the kingdom more and more you'll know your blessing the more you realize that Jesus is actually describing you. He's describing all of us, and the more you see it clearly you'll find this blessing. But this passage doesn't just tell us the way forward is to develop some sort of mild depression and some sort of self-hatred. No, quite the contrary. These first four Beatitudes are describing a person, a person who we will become intimately acquainted with through the Gospel of Matthew. One who, though he was rich, very rich, privileged, became poor. Not for his own sake, but for your sake. And in his poverty brought a salvation into this world. One who did not turn a blind eye to injustice in this world, but found himself mourning and longing this world might be made right. One who, when wrong, meekly followed along all the way to death, even death on a cross. One who so hungered and so thirsted for righteousness they'd be willing to give his life so that his, the blessing of his life might be tasted and experienced and delighted in by others. What we're seeing in this passage is the blessed one, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's calling you to see not only your deplorable state and your desperate situation and the desperate situation of our world, but also the hope that's found in him. For in his death and in his resurrection, salvation's going forward to the nations. The world's being turned upside down because this kingdom is breaking in. This passage is calling you to acknowledge your utter poverty your utter hopelessness and the hopelessness to fix the problems of this world ultimately, but also to acknowledge that one who is truly and fully blessed, that blessing so radiated off of him that as he gave his life, now the benefits of his life, the delight of his life, the blessing of his life can be poured out on you as this kingdom breaks in. This is our hope. Let me pray. Our Lord, we give you thanks that you left us with this beatitude, these these first four of the Beatitudes, but also we give you thanks that in a world where we long for a type of blessing that we often feel we don't attain, whether that be tremendous amounts of wealth or deep satisfaction, 
that you very clearly here prescribe that the one is blessed is the one who is unsatisfied. The one who continues to push forward in frustration and hurt. The one who finds their stomach growling for righteousness as they watch the news at night. The one who finds himself destitute as they look in the mirror. Not sure how to move forward well, knowing full and well we could make a mess of our lives in the week ahead. We're desperate for your help. Well, how could you use us? That somehow these are the people, Father, that you look down from heaven and you say, they get it. They're in touch with reality. They're the ones who are blessed. Father, may our church be filled with people who know this blessing, who radiate this blessing, that they might be blessings to others. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristchurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristchurchToronto.ca.